Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we've been talking about Corinthians. I'm trying to get my sound levels correct here. I th- I think I'm doing. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're we've been talking about Corinthians. We've gone through First, Second, and Third Corinthians, and we give you a little bit of the background of Corinthians in history, and. Uh, it's kind of important to understand who's in Corinth and what kind of system is in Corinth because if there was any conflict, there was actually some cooperation in Corinth. Paul is seen talking to the head chancery of Corinth, talking about the kingdom of God and how they should go that way as a city government. Uh, but the Corinth was actually not the original Corinth. It was a new Corinth that was created after the old Corinth was destroyed. It was destroyed by literally killing all the men and selling all the women and children into slavery. And, uh, of course, there were Corinthians all over the place at that time, so there were probably some Corinthians who survived, but it was absolutely devastating. There was nobody hardly living in that area for a 100 years. And then in 43 B.C., Caesar said, let's create a new Corinth. And so he's going to finance Corinth with his money. And he Romans don't do anything unless there's a profit in it. So he's doing it to get money back. We see that today in modern history, how somebody's going to go in and rebuild the country after they bombed it or after it was bombed. And then they're in the rebuilding of that country, they may make all kinds of deals so that they get you know, either power or money or something out of the deal of going in and helping that country. China, for instance, is going all over South America and a huge presence in Africa. It owns huge amounts of land now in Australia, uh, way disproportionate, which would then Australians should <laughs> like, but they're just able to come in and buy up land. Now, you can't necessarily do that if you go to China, but China is certainly doing that other places and gaining greater and greater influence in the process of doing that. And uh, so what what's really going on in that uh, process of uh, uh, cynicization of, uh, of the world where China is bringing the influence of China and China's way of thinking there? Well... Uh, we, we can explore that and we have it a little bit and, and, but what about the ideas that we've already gotten that came in from other places? When America came here, Americans, uh, began to think of themselves as America. Whoever Americans were, they, they weren't Americans coming here, but they became Americans when they came here. It was supposedly a melting pot and it was bringing in lots of different cultures and of course we had a lot of Chinese coming in from uh, the West Coast, and a lot of Europeans coming in from the uh, East Coast. But we also had a lot of Africans who were coming up uh, as slaves, and uh, there were actually Africans that immigrated here, and Arabs immigrated here. I remember on John Paul Jones's ship, uh, fighting during the American Revolution, there were, there were Muslims 
on board the ship that were fighting right alongside of John Paul Jones. And so this melting pot of cultures, and then when you say European, like all European countries are the same, well, certainly Bulgaria is much different than Romania, and Romania is far different than France, and France is far different than England. And there were Scandinavians and a lot of Germans, a lot of the Hessians who came here and fought us during the American Revolution, came back to become settlers. And, of course, even those that came from Great Britain, they were a variety. You had uh, Quakers and and uh, other, you know, the, the original pilgrims uh, who were coming here with different ideas. And, uh, you know, some of the pilgrims were coming here because they didn't want to see the ideas of Holland get into their children. And so all these ideas came to America and... Then, of course, you had the Native Americans who were already here with their ideas. And their ideas weren't all the same because all the tribes were not homogeneous. So you get this melting pot of people that are affecting what we know as the American culture. And then, of course, in America, we have these different cultures growing up because, you know, you didn't have TV, you didn't have radio, so... Down south, they were doing things a little bit different than they were doing up north. Now, north had to contend with elements of winter that the south didn't have to contend with. And the south had to contend with chiggers <laughs> and, uh, and things of the south. And it's amazing when you actually study history in depth, which almost nobody does. I mean, it's, it's a shame that in high schools and grade schools today, they really don't even teach history. Uh, they they teach something called social studies, which is actually just kind of brainwashing your children to think a, a certain way. But they really don't teach the evolution of society in different places and what attributed and contributed to what that society was becoming. And even when you have uh, microcosms of these societies in... Uh, you know, in a, you know, like Alabama is a little different than Georgia, and Georgia is different than Mississippi, and Louisiana is certainly different than those other states because they had the tremendous uh, Creole and uh, French influence in Louisiana. And then Texas had a huge Mexican influence that came in and altered away a lot of the uh, uh, people who became Americans down in Mexico have uh, developed as a state. And then now, we, of course, we have uh, millions of immigrants coming across from South America. And, you know, like 40%, maybe even more at some periods of time, uh, the people coming across the border aren't even coming from South America. They're coming from all over the world. And they, they can get to Mexico, and then they try to walk across the border because the Mexican Mexicans allow a lot of people in, and then they try to get across the border. And sometimes they... They dispose of their ID and identity <laughs> when they're coming across so that they cannot be sent back and they claim to be from countries they're not even from. But anyway, that's, that's a whole mix again coming in. What's our protection against that? Well, of course, they want to build a wall and, and borders. But reality, the true reality of protection against Bad cultures, bad ideas, bad influences is to have really good culture, really good ideas to begin with. And be stable in your society so that your culture becomes stable and, and then your nation becomes stable. 
Unfortunately, a great deal of ideas have immigrated to America and have not been separated out as bad ideas or bad cultures or bad practices. And uh, and it's partly the fault of Christian religion or what is posing as Christian religion. In the news just before the program began, we heard that China is trying to undermine Christianity supposedly by saying that, uh, you know, identifying it with other uh, systems of uh, religion like Confucianism, which Confucianism really isn't a religion. It's kind of become a religion, but originally it was just a lot of uh, philosophies. It was social reform. It was trying to get their culture back to a state where their culture was uh, contained the moral criteria that, improves society, strengthens society. And that's what Confucius was trying to bring in. And that moral level that they were trying to bring society up to is a form of religion. But then what is religion? Of course, we've gone over that as well. And we have lots of audios and articles on what religion is. And 200 years ago, religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to your fellow man was determined by what you believed about God. And, of course, the God of Christianity believes that you should love your neighbor and even love your enemy. And uh, that goes also for Moses, who said, love that neighbor as thyself, but also said, give drink to your enemy and to leave judgment to God. And so that was a attitude and a spirit that was in that uh, Judeo-Christian religion. People, Some people don't like the Judeo-Christian reference. Uh, problem with the Judeo-Christian reference a lot of times today is people don't know what the Judeo faith was all about, nor the Christian faith was all about. They have reinvented Christianity. And of course we know that began with Constantine, with the influx of, Tens of thousands of people who suddenly began calling themselves Christians. People who suddenly said they're now running a Christian church. They got baptized, but Constantine called the people to be baptized. He didn't call them to repent and get baptized. And so a great many of the early churches established by Constantine's edict thought it was okay to apply to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. In other words, they immediately started their churches with millions and millions and millions of what we would call dollars in value and land and gold and silver was given to these new churches that were set up under Constantine. And now if you go read history, you say, well, those are Christian churches. No, those are Constantinian Christian churches. They read the Bible. I mean, Constantine actually even had the the Bible commissioned, the first Bible to commission, because there was no Bible as we know it before Constantine. There was a lot of writings, Christian writings. And, uh, of course, they had the Old Testament, the Torah. That was a part of Christianity. Because Christians were actually just considered for hundreds of years just a sect of Judaism. You know, they knew Jesus was a Jew. They knew all the apostles were Jew. They knew that all the people at Pentecost, pretty much, the vast majority of them, were all Jews. And they all became Christians. 
and 90% of all the practices that they continued with was still Jewish practices. And, I, and I'm, I'm being generous with the 90%. It might have been 99% was still Jewish. The problem is that the Jewish practices at the time of Jesus Christ, many of them were false Jewish practices. They weren't really mosaic in their origin. They were in the Torah, but the uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and even some of the Zealots had falsely interpreted the Torah and came up with all kinds of rituals and practices and forms that were not a part of the original Torah. And they needed to rethink that. And of course there were many Jews that were around at that time. This again is that variety of culture. There were many Jews around at that time that read the same Torah, believed in the Mosaic law, and they their interpretation was vastly different than the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots. And of course now when I put Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots in three different categories, all Pharisees were not the same. All Zealots were not the same. All Sadducees were not the same. We just categorize people into these areas of descriptive nouns to say that, well, this is what these, these, this guy's a Pharisee. Now there were some Pharisees that followed Jesus Christ and were not far from the kingdom. But the basic Pharisaical teachings were contradicting what Moses actually intended because of misinterpretations of the Torah. Now you have to remember the Torah had been translated into Greek and a lot of people are reading the Greek text. Jesus even clearly quotes from the uh, Greek text, at least as we see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, that uh, some of those quotes are look like they came right out of the Greek text of the Torah. Now that may have been because the people who were writing down were when they're writing it down in Greek, they simply use those translations. But because of the uniqueness of the Hebrew language, which is filled with allegory and metaphor, that uh, you can do that, and the people who understand the metaphor understand what the the original was actually talking about, because they understand those metaphors. Modern Christians often don't. And I, of course, given the example many times that, you know, we're told to cast our bread upon the waters, but no churches I know of go down to the lake or the river every uh, Sunday or Saturday morning. No Jewish groups uh, do this either. Go down and toss tortillas out on the lake. They just don't do that because they understand that it's a metaphor. But when they talk about building up stone altars... They think, oh, we're actually supposed to build up stone altars with rocks. And we have to put those rocks together without hewing them. And we have to uh, uh, kill sheep and burn them up on those rocks. And, of course, that's not what the Old Testament is actually telling us. And to get modern Christians back to that point is a huge jump. Uh, they, they go like, well, oh, that's not what I learned. But, you know, you need to eventually address that. For them to truly understand what Christianity, how it got to where it is. Because it, in a way, was evolving. Now, some started evolving, and I'm I'm using that word very loosely, evolving. 
Some started evolving after the Church of Constantine and started accepting a lot of the ideas that came in with the Church of Constantine. And, of course, the Church of Constantine wasn't just in Milan. It was all over the Roman Empire. And so you were getting the the Church of Constantine had a a, a Greek background and an Italian background and uh, and uh, even a uh, the background of in Gaul because it was out there as well. But uh, and probably influences from North Africa and certainly influences from Asia. And so they were creating these this dual church, the Church of Constantine and the Church of Christ simultaneously. Of course, the Church of Christ is not going to war against the Church of Constantine, although we can clearly see evidence of the Church of Constantine warring against the Church of Christ. And we talked about this when we talked about, you know, how the, the Pope sent certain people over to Iceland and uh, Augustine, you know, traveling and uh, coming into conflict or into contact with other Christian denominations that were already in places like England and and uh, and what became France, they he was specifically told not to create the conflict. Go along to get along, but get yourself established. So they were getting themselves established by creating holy sees and uh, getting people to come to their church. And of course, they were giving out those gifts, gratuities, and benefits that uh, they were able to do because they were a wealthy church because they had followed the path of Constantine. The path of Christianity and Christ was that your ministers had to sell all that they had and own all things in common, which is exactly the path that was left by Moses. The Levites owned all things common. Uh, and they belonged, they specifically belonged to God. I was actually just reading ancient documents just this last week Talking about Essenes, you know, we have some ancient documents written by historians way back then, talking about the ministers of the Essenes owning all things common, having no personal estate. They were not out to get wealthy. They were out to serve the king, which was God the Father. And now with Christ, we had Christ as the actual physical king, representing God the Father on earth, also the highest son of David simultaneously, establishing the kingdom again on earth, not like a lot of people wanted it, not like a lot of the Pharisees wanted it, but a different kind of kingdom where the kingdom actually resides in the hearts and minds of every man. It doesn't belong to a priest, but yet we have representative ministers who are following the commands of Christ and getting the people to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and to love one another and to care for one another and provide charity for one another. This is what was going on at the time that the ministers were coming from the Vatican, bringing this Constantinian Christianity along with them. And this Constantinian Christianity said, well, no... You could get money from the top down, and the top could get money by literally conquering other people. I mean, the Pope was going around the head of an army, fighting people, <laughs> and invading places. But that, he changed saddles there at, at over a period of time in history, 
where he got he crowned other men like Debullion and Martin and Stephen and and uh, William the Conqueror. He crowned those men, and those men went out and fought the rebels, and then they just were the church. They were kind of, they were creating a beast which they could ride, <laughs> and the beast would take care of any opposition. And then, of course, we had the Inquisition and all this stuff, and even still to this day, the Roman Church. And I'm not picking on Catholics, and I'm not picking on the Roman Church. I'm just talking history here. This, I mean, you can look this up. I mean, I got most of this history from Catholic priests. That they they even claim today that they didn't really kill anybody during the Inquisition because they had the civil authorities doing it. Of course, they crowned the civil authorities and said that there was a divine right of kings. Christ wanted each of you to be king. Moses wanted each of you to be king in your own household. That's a different kind of government than centralizing power in in a leader. So now back to Corinth. Corinth was established by Caesar in 43 B.C. He financed the establishment of Corinth. And Corinth was, you know, a lot of people moved to Corinth, but they moved from all over the place. But their social structure was based on the design of Caesar. Not the design of the original Republic of Rome, but the design of Caesar. It was his design that was implemented in the formation of Corinth. And along comes Christianity, and there's going to be a conflict. But of course, Christianity is not creating the conflict in the sense of they're not, they're not trying to overthrow the government of Corinth. They understand that those people are under contracts, they owe tribute, they will have to pay taxes, and their city taxes, and, uh, of course, the whole reason they even create Corinth is to create taxes and tariffs, when people crossed the isthmus there, because Corinth was this strategic location that uh, that allowed huge amounts of trade to take place in a very short period of time, where otherwise they would have had to sail all around the the Peloponnesians uh, and you know the isthmus there, and here they could just go to Corinth and cross six miles of ground, and they saved days and days of sailing. But uh, So it was a great harbor and a great place to uh, make money. And so that's why Caesar decided to rebuild Corinth. And along comes Paul and brings Christianity. Now, in that what we just talked about, we've talked about the fact that Christianity is not necessarily what you're being taught. You know, they're worried about Christianity in China, you know, being undermined by Confucianism or some of the other religions, and even by the government itself that wants them, okay, you can sing your hymns, but you also have to sing patriotic songs alongside of it. And somebody said the underground church is still the true Christian faith. And I'm sure some of it is. But what marks the true Christian faith? And of course, when we read Corinth now, uh, Corinthians, we're going to, in chapter 4, we're going to take a look at what is the real Christian faith. And we're going to constantly be pointing out what Paul means in the context of the Christianity taught by Christ. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, so, a few other little announcements. Uh, 
And this will go out with our Corinthian deal. And like I said, I've already done recordings on First and Second and Third Corinthians. I've actually done two on Second Corinthians because there was a time lapse there because we had the Burning Bush Festival, and I didn't realize that I had already done it, so I did it again. But when I was listening back to them, I actually covered things in the second one that I didn't cover in the first. So, you know, it's kind of like that the story of the elephant, the four blind men looking at the elephant, and they each one sees a different part of it, and they describe it differently. Well, we kind of walked around Corinthians 2 there at 1 Corinthians 2 and took a, a deeper look at it in uh, the second show on that. So they'll all be available on, uh, eventually they'll all be available on the Preparing You website where we copy the whole Bible there and are putting in Bible studies and we'll have panels on the side so that you can look up things and see other opinions, so that you can walk around Corinthians and take a look at what Paul is really trying to tell us in 1 Corinthians and in all of the writings of Paul concerning the biblical text. So, you know, if we, if I'm on the page at Preparing You and looking at Corinthians, it begins with, let a man so account of us as of the minister's of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So they're stewards of the mysteries of God. Well, of course, every congregant is also a steward of the mysteries of God. And every congregant is also a minister of Christ. But there were specific people that were designated and had certain requirements put on them and appointed the kingdom to those people, much like Moses appointed the kingdom to the Levites that they had a responsibility and they and he picked the Levites to do this generally speaking Levites you know there were people who came out that were not Levites but as a tribe the Levite tribe was now designated as these ministers of the kingdom of God which is what Israel was supposed to be the kingdom of God on earth at hand and and, and we can go through the whole history and we have in other places of how they became corrupted and fell away from the original teachings of Moses, just as the the Christians, and I'm not going to really say that the ministers of the early church became corrupted. There was just simply a huge influx of people calling themselves Christians, and they picked their own ministers like Ambrose that would not have been picked by Christ. And see, this is the, everybody, if they will, you know, we're going to release here, I've already got it up in, in one of our uh, websites, uh, the recording that we made during the Burning Bush Festival. And uh, we made it out in a tent in the Burning Bush Festival. And it, it's fairly good quality recording, but it covers everything from, you know, legal tile to the the idea of uh, Feast of Tabernacles and its real purpose and and to get beyond the rituals and get to the substance of what Moses was saying what Christ was saying. You have to kind of drop the rituals that have been created by men after Moses and after Christ. And uh, some of those men that were well-intentioned, some of those men were completely off the wall, like we see with some of the people that followed Constantine and just went out and got baptized. They didn't repent. They didn't change their ways, at least not significantly. But uh, they they got baptized and they were still getting that government check into the church 
And that government check was coming by taking away from your neighbor and, and uh, away from foreigners, which is contradicting the red heifer and contradicting, you know, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, the Ten Commandments. But it's everybody thinks it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. That's a Constantinian concept. That, you know, I can go and invade a village or a town or a country, steal millions of dollars worth of property and gold and sell the people into slavery and get lots of gold for selling those people into slavery. Then I can take that gold and I give it to the church that I established. That's what Constantine was doing. I'll give it to the church that I established. And the church doesn't say anything wrong about that. You know, they they say, okay, thanks. <laughs> so, so you got modern Christians doing the same thing every day. You know, they, uh, you know, the, you know, we we had a couple of sheep out here that were, as far as I'm concerned, they were killed by a wolf, and we know there are wolves around in Oregon more and more. Uh, three more have been spotted, and uh, and they they come in and they kill cattle, they kill sheep. Uh, for my neighbors. And if you can prove that a wolf killed it, the government will give you money. They'll pay for the sheep, for the, your loss of the sheep or the loss of the calf, and they'll give you money. You know, it's a predation. Uh, they give it to you because they brought the wolves in. And uh, as long as you can prove it was by a wolf and not a coyote. And uh, I won't apply for that money because I don't know where they got it. Well, actually, I do know where they got it, but they got it from my neighbor. And, and that's, see, that's Christian. You don't want to take from your neighbor. You, you don't want to take from foreigners. And so, you know, and Paul talks about this, you know, things sacrificed to idols. That's, those idols were government temples. So things sacrificed to them was often sacrificed because it was a compelled offering. It was an offering by force. This is what John the Baptist was talking about. Not by force. Everybody else was trying to establish the kingdom of heaven, the utopia of heaven, whatever you want to call it, the, 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 what they called the righteous governments of the world. But they did it by force. But John the Baptist said, no, you take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through charity. And, of course, that's what James says, and that's what John says, that's what Jesus said, that's what Paul says. But modern Christians who say they're Christians take care of 90% of their social welfare, the care of the needy, through men who exercise authority one over the other. Now that's just really clear in the Bible that you're not supposed to be doing that because you're not supposed to be coveting your neighbor's goods. You're not supposed to be collecting from your neighbor by force to take care of what should be taken care of in pure religion. What James calls pure religion. If you are taking care of the needy in your congregation, in your church, in your Christian fellowship, in your home church. If you're taking care of the needy through men who exercise authority one over the other, you're not practicing pure religion. Because your religion, you're taking care of the needy of society, providing for your fellow man is done by men who exercise authority. It's not done by charity. It's not done by love. It's done by force. So you're not practicing in your home church, in your Lutheran church, in your Presbyterian church, in your Catholic church, in your Jehovah Witnesses, in your Mormon church. You None of you 
are practicing pure religion because your care for the needy is spotted by the world. So, you know, that's going to upset a lot of people who think they're Christians. It really should upset a lot of people who think they're Jews because I'm saying you're not supposed to be using any of the welfare benefits. Any, any is a spot for men who exercise authority. You're supposed to be taking care of one another entirely through charity. First century church did that. The Corinthian Christians were doing that. They were being tempted sometimes to go to the leaders of Corinth and get their welfare through the the system of welfare that the government offered, you know, the free bread. But Paul talks that, no, we're not supposed to do that. That's fornication with the Vestal Virgins and the Virgins of the Parthenos and with the with these other systems that operate by force. We don't do that. We operate by charity and love and that is what we're supposed to be pursuing. What is what is really going on with the early Christians? What what is Paul really talking about when he says is as as of the ministers of Christ. Now the ministers of Christ to say ministers of Christ that would be the ministers that Christ appointed. And of course that was going to be ongoing changing because people die and new ones had to be appointed and Christ isn't doing it. But there was a way in which to do it. And of course we see that with Peter. Look out amongst yourselves. Find men you trust and we will appoint them over this business. Now a lot of, now Peter said that but he didn't do that because he was the head of the church and had the keys to the kingdom. Keys to the kingdom is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven and what you, uh, you know, and what you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So if you're binding yourself on earth, heaven counts that. If you're loosing yourself on earth, heaven counts that too. Well, how do you bind and loose yourself on earth? Through contracts, covenants, and constitutions. Through applying for benefits that don't come without strings attached. By eating at tables that are a snare. It tells you all this in the Bible. Over and over again. Old Testament, New Testament. Paul's quoting Old Testament. Talking about that. What should have been for your welfare being a snare. Because you're eating at the table of men who exercise authority one over the other. And the Constantinian church did that. And many of the churches were doing that. At the time, Marie Antoinette and Napoleon and Marie Antoinette's brother, who said, if, if you're going to, uh, you know, have a wedding in your church, it's gotta be a civil marriage. By a civil contract. And they said, no, we don't want to, then I'm not giving you any more money. And they said, okay, we'll do it. And that's where you get marriage licenses today. That's how they started to come in, way back there in the days of Marie Antoinette. And, of course, now, there were such things back in the days of Rome, but it had been a thousand years where all your marriages were usually taking place in the church. They weren't civil. They weren't under civil authority. They were under law, but it wasn't under the church. The church was just bearing witness to your wedding. You know, they would record it. 
And you, you, they recorded that you said that you were going to marry her and she said she was going to marry you and the parents said that it was okay and nobody else objected and so we made a record that you are married. Now she's going to, her children will be heir to your family fortune. And her, she is now a part of your family. And they recorded that. But when you had civil marriages doing this, you know, if there were disputes, they would have been settled at common law. And I've talked about this. You go read our articles or listen to our audios on holy matrimony. I show you right in, this is what where it all started with me when I'm reading Clark's Summary of U.S. American Law and I'm seeing remedies at law, remedies at law, remedies. And then these other remedies for marriage, which means a civil marriage, Remedies that, and the, the remedies were different. And this is the same law book, architectonic law book of the United States. Uh, and it's telling you that there's these two different domestic relations. One is husband and wife capitalized, and the other one is for husband and wife, not capitalized, but is a three-party contract between you and the state. Now, I'm not saying don't get the state contract anymore. I'm just telling you what it is. I'm telling you to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I know a lot of people suddenly, oh, I don't want a state contract. And they think that's the answer. No, the answer is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because if you don't do that first, it doesn't matter whether you get a civil contract or not. You, you'll break the rules somewhere else. <laughs> you, you'll break the law of God somewhere else. Or you'll have to. So, that's why we're, we formed the network so that you can actually pursue the kingdom because you cannot pursue the kingdom. Even though this pursuing the kingdom is an individual journey, you can't pursue the kingdom. And that's why Moses took thousands out of Egypt. Jesus took thousands at Pentecost uh, because they were not doing it alone. It's an individual walk together where... Every family is a sovereign family for issues concerning the potestas and imperium of that family. Those of you who follow along and know what those words mean, it's the power of the Father is in the hands of the Father. I'm coming along telling you about this, and the power of the Father is in the hands of the state. For most of you. And and people say, well, we're going to get rid of the contracts, we're going to nullify them, we're going to do our non-statutory abatements. I just put up an article on that a couple of weeks ago showing you that you guys are not doing this right. It's wishful thinking. It's your imagination. Pursue the kingdom of God and His righteousness which requires ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And these are live links on that page and they'll take you to other stuff. Like if you if you go down and look at the the word... For stewards, it's okinomos. Nomos has to do with law. Oike has to do with house. And uh, this, it, the meaning is this this base of the law of the house. Well, the law that most people don't know is parampatria of the state. And we want to deliver every man to his family and every man to his possessions. That's That's part of the goal of the church. But the church belongs to Christ. And so for the, the ministers of Christ must belong to Christ, just like the Levites belong to God. 
So how do you do that? Well, we've got whole books that are free online that you can read to do that. But if you want to just go and start your own group, I would suggest that's not a wise idea. That I mean, your own congregation, certainly. But the kingdom, for early Israel, when thousands each day were getting baptized, these people were from all over Europe. And they were going to go back and take what they've learned and form this international network of charity. And that would be essential for the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Just this last week, I, I've heard from other people. I didn't hear it myself directly, but you know, Glenn Beck's talking about this quantitative easing that's going on at night. <laughs> it all goes on at night. Uh, where the Federal Reserve is loaning money and buying assets so that all the banks have enough cash on hand and then in the morning they sell it back and it's it's just like uh you know the the pee under the shell it's a shell game and it's it's going on to the tune of billions of dollars on a regular basis but uh it hasn't done anything quite like that since 2008 when we had this last collapse so are they planning another collapse and will it be the same as the last or Will it end up in martial law? Will it end up in, you know, disaster of biblical proportion? Uh, I got story uh, talking to one of our ministers uh, in North Dakota, and and he was saying the frogs are unbelievable here. He says you cannot take a step without stepping on a frog. So evidently they're already having a plague there. So, <laughs> but what does this mean to you? I'm just telling you, you should be seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and the way to do that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But the journey is going to take you into your own soul, into your own heart, into your own mind. Because that's where the kingdom of God has to be. In order to make room for the kingdom of God in your mind and in your heart, you're going to have to let go of some of the ideas that you already thought you had. So the word that they have there as ministers of Christ is heparetis, uh, which is a derivative of ereso. Uh which has to do with, you know, these people are together. They're, they're lined up. And, and, and normally it's translated officer. So we're talking officers of Christ. It is more commonly translated officer than ministers. There's other words they translate minister. But they'll take two completely different Greek words and they'll translate them both into minister. And so when they say minister of Christ, why did they say, why didn't they say officer of Christ? You know, uh, and, and what it is, is that, you know, and I've talked to the ministers before about this, is that we have to learn to row together. We, and that's what the early church learned to do, is to row together, to work together. They had conflicts, but they learned to row together. Today, we've had a number of people say they wanted to be ministers, and most all of the ones that have drifted away, I've, I've worried about them from the beginning. But I still hope they come back. And we'd welcome them back with open arms. But uh, as soon as they came to something that they didn't want to receive, and this actually has to do with getting into the dark places of your own heart, they bailed. They didn't just bail on us. They bailed on all the people that were trying to serve and help. And they need to repent of that and come back and be true to the message of Christ. But, of course, maybe it's just a thinning out process. Maybe they'll never come back. I don't know. We didn't, we didn't drive them away. 
we're remaining true to what Christ said, and that's what we'd like everybody else to do is remain true to what uh, uh, what people like Paul said Christ said, because Paul was accurate. People's understanding of Paul has a great deal to be desired. So, anyway, to find out, you know, Christ clearly said it was given unto certain men to know the mysteries of God, while it wasn't given to everybody, but everybody does need to know. But everybody needs to love their neighbor as themselves. Everybody needs to stop coveting their neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. You should be stewards of your possession. Right now, you're not. You don't own the money in your bank account. You don't own the house that you live in, and which is what we covered a little bit in the Burning Bush Festival. And, you know, actually somebody contacted me this last week, and we've communicated back and forth a little bit over the last two weeks about translating some of the covenants of the gods into French. So, because the French need to know this too. <laughs> That's the same thing been going on there. And those of you who've listened, we've shown how this devolution, which is a form of evolution that is going in the wrong way, has taken place in every country. You know, they're worried about the this uh, activity in uh, China. The sinization of, uh, of Christianity in China. But wh- how has Christianity changed the, the Constantinian change of Christianity that has come down to us through the last almost 2,000 years now has made it so that Christianity today, the modern Christianity is, is not recognizable as the first century church. And so to go back to a place where you can understand that and see that is really important. And it's not easily done for people because they have to set aside some of the ideas that they believe to be true that just ain't so. But in the next verse we see, and he's talking about the stewards, that a man be found faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And that's, that word steward is the same one you see up you know, uh, in the in the verse before. Again, back to uh, that word steward. It is translated steward eight times, but also chamberlain and also governor. But it's the same word in, uh, in all ten situations. So understanding that is important. And, uh, it beca- and then understanding when they, when you see the word Chamberlain in the New Testament, it's the same word steward because Christ appointed a government. It's a government. It just does not exercise authority one over the other, but it has authority over what the people freely give it. But it has authority over what people freely give it to be the welfare and the social welfare of the people, by the people, and of the people. Now, that would mean that in your local congregation, most of the help that you have in your local congregation is provided by your local congregation. And so you know, you can see exactly where, okay, I gave to him and he gave to the widow that's just outside of town. I, I know that he's taking care of business. But every congregation should be a part of a system that can and is able to, according to the network established by Christ and commanded 
by Christ for us to establish that the, each congregation is casting its bread upon the waters. And it, it's sending it out to other ministers that are helping other congregations that may be inundated with frogs or uh, fire and brimstone or earthquakes or famine or whatever it is. And so, and that's what the early church was doing. That's why you see Paul and Barnabas taking funds from local congregations to distant congregations. And they were doing it back and forth, Galatians to Corinth and all over the place. Because there was a wave of shortages that went through the Roman Empire at that time. And if you really knew history, you would know why. Because there was crop failures because of climate change. (laughs) The fields were extremely wet. In North Dakota. I don't know if they're going to get their harvest in. We got a little bit of reports. Uh, there's definitely stuff growing, but, uh, and there are people combining, but how much is damaged? How much is not damaged by the rain? And if you have lots of rain and frogs one year, maybe you'll have locusts the next year. There will be crop failures. We've been getting by with them for years now, but things have drastically changed and we've talked about that, but let's get back to Corinthians. Uh, chapter 4. In verse 3 we see, But with me it is very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing of myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Because he was one of those officers of Christ. This is why they entrusted him with funds to go all the way across the country. Because he was an officer of Christ. Not just a minister. The other word for minister means, you know, like a servant. A diaconus can be also translated as minister or servant. But it's a different word. And, you know, this is one of the things that a lot of the Bible translations have kind of played fast and loose. The original authors who were inspired by God used different words, and they are using those words interchangeably with single English words, and it creates confusion, and we should not be doing that. But he is judges of the Lord. Therefore, the judge nothing before the time. But anyway, we're going to continue this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom, so stay tuned. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And I'm still adjusting my sound here. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out all this new system. And and I was going to have people doing it next to me, but uh, I changed some of the settings in the break, and now I'm hearing everything a little bit different. But I think we've got it. Pretty well evened out. But anyway, back to Corinthians. We're reaching a critical part in Corinthians to understand really what's going on and what he's talking about. And here's, this is a common place that people misunderstand. They create whole theologies with similar verses to what we're coming up now. We just read, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. So he's saying that he doesn't know it by himself, by his own thinking. Flesh and blood does not reveal it to you. But when he says that judgeth me is the Lord, that 
that tells me is the Lord through the Holy Spirit. I'm following the Holy Spirit. I'm not following my own judgment. But of course, there's a certain amount of your judgment as to recognize, is this the Holy Spirit telling me to do this or is this somebody else? But that's what he's referring to. Not by flesh and blood. Not myself. But the Holy Spirit, the Lord, is going to show me what to do. And that's that's who judges me. Because if I don't do what he says, then I'm in trouble with him. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Is this some distant time in the future, a thousand years from now, two thousand years from now, he's talking about? He's talking about when the Lord comes to you individually. When that Holy Spirit comes to you and makes you a steward of God. Because he's going to write it upon your heart and upon your mind. And then shall every man have praise of God. Then, in that time, this is not talking about some future time where Jesus comes back and suddenly makes everything right and establishes a kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you. It has to be established within you. And the Holy Spirit has to come into you to establish it within you. You, as a steward of Christ. And as a minister servant of Christ by loving your neighbor as yourself. Not by being an officer of Christ, which is what he was talking about at the beginning. Because the individual congregant is not an officer of Christ. But he is a minister of Christ. He is a servant of Christ when he does the will of Christ and the Holy Spirit as it is revealed to him in his heart and his mind. And then we can return and God will return because we don't have the power to do it. Because that's what Paul's saying. It's not my power. I don't, I can't make this happen. The Holy Spirit can make it happen. People are trying to make it happen by filling out papers and, you know, and uh, uh, wearing certain outfits and practicing certain rituals on certain days. No, that isn't, that isn't the way it works. It does, that's witchcraft. You're you're just you're just building your own little personal kingdom. That's not what the Bible is talking about. And talking, I mean, they were talking about the Holy Spirit back in the Old Testament. He's saying that this light, this knowing by revelation, has got to come into your heart, into your mind, into every man, so that they can have praise of God. That praise of God will return your possessions to you. That's that's the abatement of God. That can't take place till you open up your heart and let God in. Many of you, I could say all of you, and I'd probably be right, but many of you, because <laughs> you know, I don't know who's listening, many of you don't make room in your heart for Christ. And the reason why is you're not willing to see the darkness that has gotten into there. You've got to clean out your temple. That's why I've encouraged meditation. I've done it in a number of different venues in the last couple of weeks. And I've even added a little bit to some of the pages to link back to this idea of meditation. Because Christ said, God said, be still and know. And meditation can help you be still. Somebody just sent me a book. I've got it in the other room right now. I was going to grab it up and tell you. I guess it's written by a guy named, uh, i got this envelope here. 
Godon, G-O-D-D-O-N. But anyway, I haven't read it yet, so I can't recommend it. But anyway, he talks about this mandate in the Bible that we should meditate. Well, there's all kinds of meditations, and there's all kinds of motives for meditation. And your motive will make the difference, because you have to let God write upon your heart and your mind, not other people. So, I mean, everybody has meditated at one time or another, whether they called it meditation or they just uh, call it contemplation or thinking about or pondering. But there's actual forms, and we see it in the Old Testament explained, but most people miss it entirely. The Pharisees certainly did. They used to wrap a leather box around their forehead. You know, they'd, they'd strap it on their forehead with a leather thong and then run that leather thong all the way down their arm to their hand. Well, that's a symbol. That's an outward symbol. And, and then the little box, they'd put a scripture. But that's an outward symbol of the actual mechanics of meditation. But the box doesn't do anything. <laughs> the leather thong doesn't. There's nothing magical in the scripture that's in the box. That's witchcraft if you think that that has any power. No, it's a symbol. And people have to stop worshipping the symbols and start worshipping the actual spirit of God and letting that spirit of God in them. And when they does, they have to have a spirit of humility to hear what God has to tell them. And it's a little different for everybody, but there's a certain similarity to everybody too because we keep all making the same mistakes over and over again in a little bit, in a billion different ways. But anyway, in verse 6 it says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So they they weren't taking a position of a hierarchy to rule over people and to tell them what to think and all this stuff. But they're saying, he's saying that you have to have God in your heart. You have to let the light of God in your heart. And I'm just telling you, and he will tell you also, that some of the things that Keep the light of God in your heart is covetousness, judgment, anger, resentment. And a lot of anger and resentment is still in you. And fear, fear is just another form of anger. Anger is the fight and fear is the flight. But they're the reaction to something outside of yourself. It's not the Holy Spirit that is making you fear the world is not the Holy Spirit that is making you angry at the world. That's you. And probably the influence of other evil in you that you have allowed. Because you were not well. You tried to battle evil on your own. You can't do that. You let God fight the battle. And one of the things that helps you, if if people of the Holy Spirit were to sit down with other people that have this trauma locked away in their heart. Because this is what happens when you try to fight this battle. The evil gets in, it dwells in you. The patterns of evil get into your mind and they create ruts in your mind and then all I have to do is we we call pushing your button and you'll get angry. Pushing your button and you'll get afraid. Pushing your button and you will react because you have these grooves, patterns in your mind and in your heart, actually written in your flesh, 
this is where disease, a lot of disease comes from. That if you want to overcome that pattern, you sometimes need somebody else to be there with you. Which is really great because now when you get a little bit better, you can be there for somebody else. And both of you will be healed in that process. This is why it's a journey alone together. Because you need to help others and you need to allow others to help you in a way that strengthens you. The world will help you, but not in a way that strengthens you. It will make you more dependent and weaker. We have to be seeking to make you stronger. And the way to make you stronger is to let the light into your heart. So we have some projects coming up that we've been working on and talking over with the other ministers. And those ministers who've left have no knowledge of what's going on. Those ministers who don't show up at the conference call have no idea what's going on. (laughs) And that's the way they have chosen to make it. We're sharing all the time. We're working all the time. We're showing up all the time. And if you want to get in on these other things where you can be of service to others, then you have to form your congregation, which we teach you how to do. And get a recognized minister and then he can come on and he can work in these projects too. One one of the things, we have lots of volunteers for the projects and hopefully we'll get a lot more because it's a big project. But we don't have somebody to run the thing that we feel that can sit down with the Holy Spirit and be the oversight on site in the position. Well, who do we have to do that? Because you're going to be dealing with lots of different kinds of things. Now, a lot of the people that might be working there, they can be dealing. But we need somebody to put in oversight. And we're, we're at a loss. We can't find them. You know, but we know that God can provide them. But unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, we probably won't find them amongst you. <laughs> so, so you have to start doing what Christ said. But anyway, he says, I have in a figure transferred to myself. And we'll talk later about that transfer if we get enough time. Because we have some information in the sidebar about that. But let's go down to verse 7 so we get this covered. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Well, evil can make you differ from another. But God can make you differ from another. So is it the spirit of God that's getting in you or is it the spirit of evil that's getting in you? If you think it's okay to take away from your neighbor, to take a bite out of your neighbor through the agency of men who exercise authority, that ain't God. That ain't God's way. So heads up. You're not following God's way. And that's heads up to a lot, a lot of people. <laughs> so, so seeking the kingdom is turning around your thinking and realizing, no, The church should be taking care of all the social welfare of the people, for the people, by the people, through charity, through love. You will get a different nation if you go, if you add that to the culture of your life. If you cultivate that characteristic in your life. That's seeking the kingdom of God. Somewhere along the line, Americans knew that when America was great. I'm not saying the United States was great, but America was great. There was greatness in America amongst people who understood that and did that. And they did that. And there weren't people dying in the streets and people were helping one another. Almost almost every bit of social welfare back in the early 1800s was taken care of through charity. 
There was no welfare. There was no war on poverty. All that stuff came in this last century under people like FDR. And you can go back to Woodrow Wilson and Federal Reserve and and the League of Nations and all these contracts, covenants, and constitutions with other nations. But then you can go back to the Civil War and we see changes there. But the reality is, is that you're bringing in other ideas that are conflicting with the ways of God. And you're incorporating those ideas, literally incorporating those ideas in your culture. Public education. Public schools before were almost entirely financed by private donations. Today they're completely financed by Caesar. <laughs> through, through compelled offerings. That's, that's the opposite direction of headed towards the kingdom of God. All roads lead to the kingdom of God. All roads lead to Rome. That one led to Rome. Going back the other way is homeschooling, private school, etc. That's the way you should be going. And if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, it won't be nearly as hard to do. So, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hast not received it. And now, he goes on, now ye are full. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign. That we also might reign with you. What's he doing? He's not making Caesar king. They're taking care of one another, so they are each kings in their own house. Each stewards of their own house. Each ministers of their own stewardship. They aren't the officers of Christ, but they are the ministers of Christ in their own house. And in their free assemblies. And in their congregations. Modern Christians, that's not the way they do it. They are not kings in their own house anymore. They... California, forced vaccination. That doesn't sound like king in your own house. <laughs> you know, uh, truancy laws, forced go to public school. And, you know, in, in many countries, it's illegal to teach your kids at home. And there are many people in America that would like to make it that way as well. I mean, there, there's many people in America that want to make it illegal for you to defend your own family in your own home and teach your own children. They don't want you to have that right. And they think that's great. So, for I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world. Now, what word is that? A spectacle. We are, we're showing you the demonstration to the world what the kingdom of God is. That's what they're doing. We would like to do that. That's one of our projects. To start showing people what the kingdom of God looks like. And we've been doing it on a small scale in our home. And in some of our congregations for some time. But we would like to do it on a larger and larger scale. Because we see the need coming. Just, you know, like, I don't I don't know what Glenn Beck's solution was for the quantitative easing. And the billions and billions of dollars that are changing hands every night. <laughs> so that they can keep the system afloat. But, and, you know, I'm not trying to preach fear or anything, but, you know, it's not a healthy situation. But that's the world's system. 
we're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God in his system. And his system requires that you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So everybody should go to preparingyou.com and sign up with a network and then see if they can get into the living network by forming those tens, hundreds, and thousands. A free assemblies of men in their own homes and their own families. Then I, I was contacted by some single women who have no husband and their family doesn't want to go this way. Well, they can still come into a congregation. And they get to know other families and they can become a part of those families and help those families. And those families will help them. That's the way you do it. You know, I've got two brothers who never married and have no children. They should be helping other families. Whether it's, you know, it's I'm, I'm the only son that has children. So they could be helping me. Uh, although I don't need that and I'm not requiring that, but they, they should be going out of their way to do it because my children will have to take care of them in their old age if Social Security collapses. <laughs> but uh, if they don't want to do with me, they can do it with other families. But they should not be just idling away their life doing their own thing. And your congregation should not be idling away its congregational uh, responsibilities just within its congregation. It needs to be casting its bread upon the water because that's why the network. If you are to love your neighbor as much as yourself, you are to love the next congregation as much as yourself. This is where home churches are isolating themselves. They're getting the good feeling, but they're not doing what Christ did. They talk about, well, the early church was home churches. Yeah, it was home churches connected from Gaul to Corinthians to the to uh, Ephesus, all over, all the way to Great Britain. They were connected everywhere. And when thousands had to leave Rome or kicked out, they had a place to go because they had the network. The home churches today don't have that. So, you know, what what are you going to do? <laughs> so anyway, but the apostles have become this spectacle, this the thing that the world can see, that the constitutional orders and systems of governments can see. And to angels... And to men. Well, what men are we talking about? The average go guy, the average Christian, and to angels. Because that's their protection on a supernatural level. And you'll need that because these systems of the world are often harboring evil. But anyway, and so you need that spiritual protection. And you can't get that by conjuring it up with paperwork. You can only get that when you are following the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit in. And the Holy Spirit will only come in when you want to admit the truth about yourself and your own personal failings. And if you meditate, you will come face to face with those things. If you meditate upon your own hearts and on your own minds. We are fools for Christ's sake. Yeah, because people were calling them fools. But for Christ's sake. But ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but we ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Because they're sitting up there and they hate them. You know, a lot of the early people that were persecuted were the ministers and the, and the uh, overseers of the church. Overseers being servants as well. The highest servant of servant of servants. They were the ones that were first persecuted. I mean, it was even hard to find the local Christians. But the ministers you could find, and the families of the ministers, they they suffered. But uh, he says, ye are strong. Well, that's the thing is that we're not, and we talk about this, where a minister wants to sit up there in the front and speak to all the people, and they all just sit there and listen. 
That's not practicing Christianity. That's oration and entertainment sometimes. And there's a place for that. But the real Christianity begins when you are strong and you are participating in an honorable fashion, in a righteous fashion where you're practicing pure religion. You can't just sit in a pew and practice pure religion. You have to get involved. In the modern churches, you'll see a few people involved doing all the work. Everybody else sitting there. And they might write a check now and then. But in true Christianity, everybody's involved. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands being reviled, we bless being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world. Again, that word world is not age. It's constitutional order or system of government. And that, of course, is our ordained ministers. We're not, we're not accepted by the world. I mean, they know we're a church. But the world is demanding more and more of things of the people. You know, your real ID and all that stuff. And so we're counted supposedly as lowly, but we've been getting by with the power of the Holy Spirit. But in order to do things like the project of taking care of the needy of the world and the needy of society and the needy of the congregations of congregations, we're going to need strong congregations and people who step forward. And we have a whole system set up on biblical principles where every elder in every congregation can participate and become those ministers, servants of Christ, by becoming friends to the church. Because that's what we are, as friends to each other, through Christ. And so we, we have institutions, I won't get into it here, but if you join the network, we will talk to you about it. We are made as filth of the world and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. So that's an interesting word, off-scouring. What does that mean? <laughs> anyway, we may go down to uh, the next verses uh, and we'll come back to that. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ... That means that Christ is in every man. And so when you get together and you talk, you, you share information back and forth. Hopefully, every one of you has are walking with that light of Christ that he talked about earlier and are being uh, revealed things through the Holy Spirit. So you have this thousand instructors in Christ because each one of you is that you know the thousand points of light. Yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me, and followers of my example, not me as ruler over you. Many fathers, not one father. See, Rome had one father, and that was the emperor. But we're a nation of many fathers. 
Because we're a nation of many kings. We are a nation of many instructors. But the instructors we want to listen to are the ones who are listening to Christ, who have Christ in their heart, who have the kingdom of God in their heart. How do you know who has that? Will James tell you. By their works you will know them. What are they doing? Are they gathering people or are they dividing people? Are they uh, casting their bread upon the waters or are they just helping their own little local congregation? You know, Christ sees these things and I'm just pointing them out that that's what the early church had to do in order to be a nation amongst nations. Verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. In other words, the way. As I teach everywhere in every church, now some of some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. So, anyway, we're going to talk more about the kingdom of God, because that's what he starts talking about next, when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we'll finish up this chapter and look at the sidebar. Be right back. Okay, welcome back. So, we're in verse 20 and 21 here at the end of uh, Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Well, of course, we're to come in love. And even though I may have a tongue that has scolded you, I'm, I'm trying to scold you to, to see that we're not going in the way of love. Modern Christians are not really following the culture of love, but the culture of covetousness. And their covetous practices have made them merchandise and has cursed their children with debt. And they're playing games in the world of phony money, fake money and fake news and fake everything else. That makes you think you're okay as you head towards a precipice of destruction. Paul is supposedly to have said, all you have to do is say. But actually he's just saying the kingdom of God is not in word. See, the thing is people take Paul not only out of the context of Christ, but they take Paul out of the context of Paul. Because Paul is talking to you about things hard to understand. Peter told you that. That he would talk to you about things that are hard to understand. So he's using metaphors. And if you mix the metaphor and you turn it into metaphor and into fact and then back into metaphor again, you're going to be all mixed up. You have to know. You cannot understand Paul talking to you about things hard to understand unless you listen to Paul in the Holy Spirit. And if you're not willing to admit that the covetous practices of the world has created a culture of violence where we're taking a bite out of one another where we're bludgeoning our neighbor over the head by men who exercise authority in order to get the benefits we want today. We're borrowing against the future of our children to get the benefits we want today. We are not keeping the Sabbath because we're 
enjoying the benefits today that are going to be paid for tomorrow by our children. We haven't worked first and then earned our rest. We've taken our rest and put the burden of working for it on our children. We have cursed our children. You are, if you don't understand that, you don't understand the Sabbath. If you're still counting days, you worry me. Because it isn't magic. It isn't witchcraft that is salvation. Salvation is an opening of the heart and a willingness to see the truth. And that's what Paul's talking about. Not in word. You can't just say you believe in Jesus and be saved. You have to believe in the real Jesus. And you have to believe in the real Jesus so much that you can be said to have faith. And you have faith if you're doing the will of the Father. If you're not doing the will of the Father, then you're, you don't have faith. You have fake faith, along with the fake news and the fake money and the fake legal title and all the other fakes that you have. So what is this power he's talking about? Dunamis, meaning to be able. Strength, power, ability. That's the power that he's talking about. So when he's talking about that you have this power, not in word, but in power, the ability. Do you have the ability to see the truth about your own heart and about your own mind? So anyway, that that pretty much sums up uh, that chapter, but we do have some stuff that we look in the sidebar that will give us a little bit more information about the truth of the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom. I I said that I would talk a little bit later about uh, some of these ideas uh, like off-scouring. Well, in that verse, which is verse 13, being defamed, you know, that's what he says, the word there is defamed. And it's it's actually a word that is also translated blasphemed. And uh, it means to speak reproachfully of. So people... People say, oh, well, they're not doing it right. They should be doing it like us, you know, voting for Trump. And I don't really care if you vote for Trump or not, but I know the solution is not found in voting for anybody but righteousness. And I'm not condemning people who vote for Trump or vote for anybody. I'm just talking about the truth. That seeking the kingdom is realizing that the answer is in the kingdom. A lot, of, Like I say, a lot of people vote out of self-defense, and they can do that. I'm not, you know, that's not about the gospel. The gospel's not going to tell you how to vote. The gospel is going to tell you the way. And if you start going the way, then hopefully the Holy Spirit will come and you'll know what to do as far as voting or not voting or whatever. But you have to actually be doing what Christ said. And certainly that should start with what he commanded. And he commanded the ministers, those officers of Christ, to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because in that pattern, you can begin to practice the way. To take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and violence. If you don't sit down in that pattern, or something similar to that pattern, then you you can't take care of one another. There's just there's no practical way of doing it. So he says, we entreat, we are made as the filth. And, and there's a particular word there that he uses that, that you know, he talks about. It's, it's the refuse of society. It's actually a, specifically a metaphor. And, you know, that makes us the deplorables. <laughs> I mean, or yeah, that's a word that was used politically recently. But uh, it has to do with uh, 
criminals who were maintained at public expense. Uh, that would be the people on welfare. Except for the fact that we're not on welfare of the world. You know, I don't collect Social Security taxes. I've waived my right to Social Security taxes. If I'm going to be a minister of Christ, I have to do that. And, you, know, uh, you know, I paid the taxes for, for years and years and years, but I waive my right to the benefits. And I, there's a number somewhere, but I don't have it, uh, and I don't use it for benefits. So I, I can't, there's, and they're, what they're doing is the world is off-scouring us. That's where that word that I, I mentioned before, that it was an interesting word. That, that off-scours us, as we can't do a lot of things in the world. We can be in the world, but there's a lot of things that we cannot do because we are not of the world. That constitutional order or system of government. We're the church. We're separate. This is, this is why Christ made the church to be free. But it required that the church do certain things and maintain certain things. So this off-scouring the Athenians in order to avert public calamities yearly through a criminal into the sea as an offering to Poseidon. Hence the term became used for the expiatory offering, a ransom for our child. In a comparison with the savings of our son's life, let it be to us a despicable and worthless thing. It is used of a man who is in behalf of religion undergoes dire trials for the salvation of others. Now that's, I'm reading out of uh, uh, the opinion in, uh, you know, a particular concordance. But basically, we're cast out of the system. We don't have access to a lot of things that other people have access to because we're not a part of that system. And, and we can't be a part of that system if we're going to belong to Christ. If we're going to be that other system of Christ. That's what Christ said. That we could be in the world, but we couldn't be of the world. So we we were separated out as those officers of Christ. But we're only doing this so that we can serve the people. And we can only serve the people if they wish to serve one another because we have no authority to make them do it. Like the world is going to make you contribute. You know, I mean, what the pharmaceutical companies will make 500 or what is it? $50 billion or whatever it is by forced vaccinations if they went, you know, uh, nationwide. But they will make hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars on treating all the uh, autoimmune diseases and everything that have been blooming under this increased vaccination because it is very clear. The science, even if you just read the CDC, it's very clear that all these autoimmune diseases are coming from things that are contained in the vaccination and the disruption that the vaccination has on certain people that, you know, and that they will make billions, hundreds of billions of dollars on treating these manufactured diseases that have been injected into you by vaccinations. I'm not saying vaccinations don't work at all. Some could work. Some what they call vaccinations aren't even vaccinations. They're just toxins. And they're put into use so that your body learns to cope with the toxins that are produced when, I think it's like whooping cough and stuff. But it's a different spirit that's manufacturing that system. 
and that way of dealing with the problems of the world. It's another spirit that deals with the problems that uh, of the world that Christ offered. It's another way, another spirit, another pattern. It's a pattern of a pattern of caring for one another. And you know, like I I talk on the side panel there, the Greek words here for ministers of Christ actually means the officers of the king. While uh, huperetes can mean a minister or a servant, it it especially refers to an officer of a magistrate or king. So that the apostles and the ministers of the church, the ordained ministers of the church, meeting the qualifications of Christ, are literally officers of the king. Except we were commanded that we could not exercise authority. So if you use that word officer, you have to think of it in the te- in the terms of Christ's Christ's command, because the king, Christ, that other king, said we could not exercise authority. Now the kings of the world. They do exercise authority. They do compel, which is why I said Lady Godiva is on the front of the Free Church Report. And if you go read the Free Church Report, free online, and read the article that we have associated with why Lady Godiva is on the cover of the Free Church Report, then you'll understand that if you, your culture says it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to pay your student loan, that's the big thing that's going around we're going to pay 80% of your student loan. Well, we're going to pay 90% of your student loan. No, elect me. I'm going to pay 100% of your student loan. They're not going to pay any of your student loan. They're going to put the burden of the payment on other people who did not take out a loan and did not benefit from the loan. And have probably been supporting a lot of you on welfare and food stamps and everything else because you can't go out and get the job you thought you could get Because you got an education, but you didn't learn how to make a living. You were educated to become weaker as individuals rather than stronger as individuals. The, The schooling that you got made you weaker, not stronger. Less capable, not more capable. And people who are out there looking for people who are looking for jobs, they know. That if you're not doing anything with your life, but went to school for four or five, six years, and then haven't done anything for four or five, six years since, they don't want to hire you. You're not a go-getter. And so they won't. And so then you don't get your student loan paid off, so therefore you elect somebody who will pay your student loan off. (laughs) Except they won't pay it. Bernie's not going to sell one of his houses to pay off your student loan. He's going to take and take and take and take from your neighbors who didn't get a student loan and make them pay for it. And we're getting to the point where there's an end to the taking. Because now in the middle of the night, they're they're playing, you know, uh, shell games with the money. I mean, they've been doing it a long time, but they've been doing it between banks. Now the Federal Reserve is doing it. And so, I mean, time, the clock is ticking. Actually, when I set up the sound system, I could hear the clock ticking on the microphone that's out in the other room. And so, in my adjustments, I finally just decided, because I was running out of time, to go and stop the clock. Well, I can stop the clock in the other room. I can't stop the clock that is ticking for you. You need to repent now. Turn around. Gather in the tens, hundreds, of thousands. Start taking care of one another. And get a jump start on catastrophe. (laughs) This is also why the ministers are often called stewards, which we see also in verse 2. 
And uh, we went over that a little bit at the beginning. In verse 4, uh, when Paul speaks of the Lord come, he is talking about a second coming. Is he talking about a second coming? Or is he talking about the Lord coming as the Holy Spirit, the anointing of your heart and your mind with the wisdom of Christ? And therefore, you will know the mysteries of Christ. Well, if you're not going to start doing plan one, which sit down in the tens, hundreds of thousands, start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself, how do you figure you're going to get to plan two? You know, step two. Coming to the individual to bring a light of understanding through the counsel of the heart. So that's a very important part of this fourth chapter. In verse 8, Paul refers to every man as king of his own actions and his own house and his own property. That's the way God wants it. That isn't the way it is today. But it isn't that way because you changed the culture of Christ to the culture of Constantine. And you need to repent and think differently. Don't think like Constantine. Think like Christ. Think like what Paul is trying to tell you. And become dependent upon the Holy Spirit. In order to make room for the Holy Spirit, you need to walk into the dark recesses of your own heart. Each of us needs to journey into the hell that has gotten into us to clean out those corners. And if you do it together, you will have the mutual support of a thousand Christs. But first you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. (laughs) So, Paul says... He has transferred, in verse 6, using the word that he repeats in 2 Corinthians uh, 11, uh, verses 13, 14, and 15, which we will get to later. Making the distinction between the false apostles, Satan, which is the adversary, and the ministers of righteousness. See, the, the adversaries of Christ... Take a bite out of one another. They send men who exercise authority to your house to force you to contribute to their welfare, to pay their student loan, etc. Those are the ministers of unrighteousness. But the ministers of righteousness, we could pay off your student loan and set you free. But why would we pay off your student loan and set you free? When you haven't sat down to set your neighbor free. You actually want to elect Bernie because you want to enslave your neighbor to your mistakes and make your neighbor pay for your foolishness. We are willing to pay for your foolishness if we see you repent and start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Whenever the gospel is effectually... Now, this is a quote, and it's a... I, I suppose uh, I can go look really quick at Matthew Henry's commentaries because I, I took a bunch of them in order to go through some of these things. But he says whenever the gospel is effectual, it comes not in word only, but also in power. That's a dunamis. By the Holy Spirit, quickening dead sinners, delivering persons from the slavery of sin and Satan. Now, it's the slavery of sin and Satan. So, I know people who say they've been born again and they stop smoking. They've been born again and they stop doing this or that bad thing that they would call sin, falling short. Which is evidence of the fact that you're not filled with faith in Christ and not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what sin is, is evidence that you're off the track. But, has it delivered them from the slavery of Satan? See, that's another step. They've accepted Christ. And there's been a change, but until they're 
free from the slavery of Satan, they're not going to have the renewing that he's going to talk about, the renewing them both inwardly and outwardly and comforting, strengthening, and establishing the saints, which cannot be done by the persuasive language of men, but by the power of God. So how can you be freed from Satan? Not by words and phrases and paperwork and all that stuff. You cannot be freed from the system of Satan that forces the contributions of the people by that. You cannot be freed from the bondage of the earth. You have to, what you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. But what you have to do is see the truth about your own failing, your own covetousness, your own weakness, your own selfishness. And you do that by taking on the responsibility to your God and to your neighbor, to your fellow man, to take care of him through faith, hope, and charity. When you start doing that, you're cleaning out your temple. You're making room for the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul will speak in Corinthians 5 of deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So those people who will not be a part of Christ then they can go. And those who do not want to follow the ways of Christ, then they can go. And the world will punish the wicked. We don't have to punish the wicked. But if you want to receive the blessings of Christ, you have to become a blessing to others. And the way to do that again is to become a part of the living network of people who are willing to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in congregations of love and charity and with the intention of seeking the kingdom of God instead of the benefits of the world. And they're willing to follow the way. What does it mean that it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful? So that's a question I put out there. There's a couple other questions that we put here. Why is it mentioned that Christians labor working with our own hands? Verse 12. Why is that mentioned? Well, Paul was making tents, of course, and trying to support himself. He had the right to eat at the altars, but he was supporting himself. We, we support ourselves. You know, actually, I was, I've just been going over books for the last, uh, I don't know, five years or so. And I realized that how much I not only supported myself, but I supported much of the ministry. And people think somehow or other we're collecting money from other people to support some of the ministries, the missions, and stuff like that. I could actually show you where that money came from. Because <laughs> I went back and I, oh yeah, I paid for that. Oh yeah, I paid for that. <laughs> with my labor. My making of sense. Uh, not with the contributions of the people. We can also show you where the contributions of the people went out to other people to help them. But uh, we're not... I know someday the people will start to really wake up and sit down in the tens, hundreds, of thousands. There'll be enough loaves and fishes to pay for all of the needs of the society that is following the ways of Christ. But right now, people are still floundering around trying to get over their delusion. And it's time that the bones start having the sinew connecting them together. The dry bones start connecting. And then God will start bringing the flesh on as people begin to stand upright and do the right thing. 
and create this shadow of Christ upon the face of the earth, which is a shadow of light. Why does Paul talk about Christians having 10,000 instructors in Christ? And, uh, actually, is that correct? Did I write that down? <laughs> to go back and, oh yeah, that, he did say 10,000. Well, it's because the people were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Is Christ Jesus the same as saying King Jesus? Yes, of course. Christ means anointed. It's, in uh, Hebrew it would be Messiah. Messiah Jesus. Anointed Jesus. Why Messiah? Messiah means anointed in Hebrew because King David was anointed when he became king. That's what they did. They didn't have a crown. They anointed them because they they don't exercise authority. They don't accumulate gold and silver. They actually are blessing the people with the blessings of the people. But when we go back to having King Jesus, then that means that we all have to be kings in our own household and come together in free assemblies not corporate assemblies, free assemblies, but we have to cast our bread upon the waters so that those people who are the offices of Christ will have the means by which to help people get out of the debt of Satan and into the way of Christ. But, of course, we only want to help people that are willing to repent and turn around and go the right way. If we help people who are not willing to repent... We are enabling them to continue the process of becoming weak. Continuing the process of heading towards destruction. Continuing the process of becoming prey to Satan. You see, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you Satan doesn't want to take a bite out of you. Because you are sour in his mouth because you are holy in the Lord. That is your protection. Do you believe that? then pursue that. Because that is seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And unfortunately, we haven't always been doing that. So next we'll go to 1 Corinthians 5, but we'll have to save that for another time. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. So go to the website, preparing you and hisholychurch.org, and join the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.